As we just sang a prayer for our hymn of the day, let us begin our sermon with another prayer. Gracious Lord, we ask you to use today's sermon to refresh your salt in us. Use that salt to take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take our moments and our days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Doesn't this text strike you as odd, as discombobulated? John says, we told a guy to stop doing miracles in your name. He can only do them by your power. Jesus tells him, don't do that. Then he goes on about mutilating yourself and in the long run seems to be saying, pass the salt. We've got to understand what's going on in this text and understand it properly because, for example, it was not a Lutheran church, but some years ago in Wisconsin, a zealous pastor misunderstanding this text while preaching on it reached up in front of his own congregation and gouged out his eye. There's a lot of misunderstanding that can come from this, and yet there's a lot of wonderful understanding and comfort God gives us in this. To understand this text, we've got to go back a few verses. Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be very last, and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Doing the work in God's kingdom. Not with a self-promoting attitude, not with a you serve me, with a servant's attitude. That's what the backdrop is to this text. The disciples wanted to know who was better. Who was going to be in a position of authority? Isn't that the spirit of the Antichrist? Don't we see the Antichrist gradually rising through history, starting out as a man who's in a position known as bishop that was over other men, eventually becoming somebody who claims he is the very vicar of Christ, and all men in the church are subject to him? That you serve me attitude? It's plucked at John's heartstrings. He remembers something that happened, and he says, 
Teacher, we saw men casting out demons in your name, and so we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. Notice the address he uses, teacher. John's conscience has been plucked. Uh, We thought we were doing the right thing, Lord, but uh, were we? Jesus said, stop preventing him, for there is no one who will work a powerful deed, which hence is a miracle, the power of God, on the basis of my name and soon after be able to speak evil of me. On the basis of Jesus' name. There's the power. That's where it came from. And therefore, because it was the power of God and it was not a counterfeit miracle, the man was working to God's glory. And Jesus says he can't do that and shortly thereafter speak blasphemous of me. Now, a person can fall from the faith, but it wasn't going to happen shortly after doing something like that because the man truly had faith. Now, whether or not he had a strong faith, as, we like, as some people like to refer, or an infantile faith doesn't matter. The man had faith and God was working to his glory for, through him. And the disciples were upset. You don't know your place. You're not following around with us and doing what we, the disciples, are doing. It's the same thing that happened when Moses appointed those elders and two of them didn't show up. And Joshua, who would later lead the people into the promised land, said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. They're not in the right place. They don't have the right position. They're not doing this officially. Moses says they're still working to God's glory. I want to be careful how we understand this, because this man is a believer. And in the book of Acts, the sons of Sceva do this, but they don't believe in Jesus. And the demon turns on him and puts a wallop on him. They run away naked and ashamed. So the disciples here are stopping them because he's not in the official position they want. Therein is the attitude, isn't it? Don't we have the tendency... We want to compare our spiritual gifts to others. We always want to be better than others. In fact, we always want to be better than God, thinking we know more than he does and telling him how to do what he needs to do. Jesus says, don't put a hindrance to this man. If he did it by the power of Jesus' name, then he did it by God. And God was at work for him. So he says, for he who is not against us, and the Greek preposition is standing in our place, the one who's trying to stand in our place, says he's beside us. So we translate that as he's for us. God was using his glory. It was not, the man was not teaching falsely. We've got to understand that. This text doesn't say, as long as they're doing some work in God's kingdom. No, the man was working according to God's power, to God's glory, not teaching falsely. So then Jesus says, in fact, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in connection with my name, because he is Christ's possession, truly I'm telling you that he will never be deprived of his reward. Now, if you're thirsty and you're in the desert and you're dying of dehydration and somebody walks miles to give you a cup of water, that's a pretty big deal, right? But if somebody's at your house and you offer them a cup of water, that's no big deal, is it? Jesus says, this person does it in my name, in the spirit of my name. He's working because his motivation is my Holy Spirit's in his heart. He trusts that I'm his Savior. In fact, he literally spells it out. He's a possession of Christ. Christ has purchased and won him. So he gives a drink. He says, that doesn't go without its reward. What may seem small and insignificant in this world, when it's done with a loving heart, because the Holy Spirit is in that heart, because that person is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, God says, it's a big deal to me. Might be easy to do that, huh? I'm not the pastor who preaches, 
Sometimes short, sometimes a little too long. So I'm not glorious. All I do is on my lunch break run up to the church and mop the floor so those muddy boots are cleaned up. God says, you did that in service to me. And that is just as glorious to me. In the world, we see things in a different priority than God does. For none of us can do one thing to please God unless the blood of his son has washed us clean and his Holy Spirit's in our heart. Because everything we do is tainted by sin. God must remove the stench of our sin before it can glorify him. But then, a little child singing in Sunday school, Jesus loves me, this I know, glorifies God just as much as the parent Monday night doing a devotion with his child to help the child learn of God. There's not one work that's more important in God's kingdom. It is all to serve the proclamation of the word done because the Holy Spirit's in our heart, primarily serve that proclamation that we are sinners, but our Savior has saved us, and it all works to his glory. So, so far Jesus is spelling out, we're dealing with the sin of of understanding glory or not knowing your place in the church. Jesus is dealing with that, and he's saying even what may seem insignificant to man's eyes, to God's eyes when it's done because of faith, that is a wonderful thing, and and it won't go without its reward. We're already saved. It says he's already a possession of Christ, so the reward isn't salvation. We ought to understand that. It's, It's that he gets his thank you, if you will, in heaven. He's already saved. So he continues in verse 42, and whoever, and the word here used has quite a picture for sin, who and whoever ensnares into sin one of these little ones who keep on believing in me, then it would be much better in regards to him if a donkey-drawn millstone were placed around his neck and he'd been thrown into the sea. Picture used for sin is a trap. Set it out, the person steps in it, it's grabbed. They're grabbed, they're held tight by it. So what happens? They fall out of faith. The sin has entrapped them. There's a warning to the disciples. If you want to have that, I'm better than you. If you want to have that, you better know your place attitude. If you want to know that one work done for the Lord is more glorious than the other attitude, you better be careful. Because you can fall into a sin that will drive the Holy Spirit out of your heart. That is not the love God has. The love that led God to take on our human flesh. To live in our place to serve us by saving us by suffering on the cross. And here the word used for little ones, the word child is not there, although child was mentioned earlier. We could translate in English the point, insignificant. So you think that one person who shows up every now and then to church and really doesn't do anything, you think they're insignificant? So you trod on them in your pride? Well, there can be eternal consequences. See, the millstone that's mentioned was actually pulled by a donkey. It was a huge millstone. If it was wrapped around your neck and you were thrown into the sea, you're not getting out. Jesus here is saying, it's better that you had been removed far away so that you could never cause that person to fall into sin. You will be held accountable. Even our pride, our need for self-glorification can cause this. And he launches in with his continued warning. And so if your hand keeps on ensnaring you into sin, then cut it off. It's better that you enter into the life. The word there, the life, means eternal life. Truly life is in Christ. The life deformed, then that you, while having two hands, depart into Gehenna. That is into the fire, the one that is indistinguishable. 
And so if your foot keeps on ensnaring you into sin, then cut it off. It's better that you enter into the life crippled than that you while having two feet be cast into Gehenna. And so if your eyes keep on ensnaring you into sin, then pluck it out. It's better that you enter into the kingdom of God one-eyed than that you while having two eyes be cast into Gehenna where the worm does not die and the fire is not extinguished. So here's what Jesus is saying. If there is something that is making you embrace a sin so that you love that sin more than God, so that it ensnares you, so that you chase the Holy Spirit out of your heart, it's better to flee from it. This isn't one time my eye caused me to sin, I repented of it. One time my foot led me to a place where I could go do some sinning that I should, my foot should have led me away from. It's do what you can to not embrace a sin. If it's continually causing this, then do what you can to keep it from causing it. There's the difference. How can an eye cause us to sin? Well, we can, many ways, we can look at money lustfully. We can look at the opposite gender, sadly, sometimes our own gender lustfully. The point here is if it's going to cause us to embrace a sin to the point that we chase the Holy Spirit out of our heart, it's better to have done the most drastic thing to prevent that. In the context, the disciples' pride. This person doesn't know his place. He's warning them, even that sin can cause you to forfeit your salvation. Gehenna. Gehenna was an Aramaic word that gets translated into Greek that then gets translated into English. It was the name for the city dump. It was a valley in Jerusalem that had a constant fire that they kept going, and you threw your trash there. This is God's picture of hell. God's garbage dump. And he says, the worm does not die and the fire is not extinguished. In those parts of the world, you could dig up a body and there are worms. They burrow their way in, eat the body from the inside out. We cannot comprehend how miserable hell is. But this does not sound like a good time to me. Physical torture. Because they will be reunited with their bodies on Judgment Day. But they won't be the glorified bodies of believers. The fire. How do you describe the torment of knowing God has left you outside of his grace. You've earned it, you deserve it, and you have only yourself to blame. The spiritual torment of hell. I tell you, when I hear this, it literally scares the hell out of me. And it makes me thankful that my Savior suffered the abandonment of his Father on the cross so that you and I would not know the abandonment of God. And it stands as a warning. Because we've been forgiven, if we're going to embrace a sin like that, we can still end up there. So we pray, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Let me not worry that I look better than my neighbor at my neighbor's expense. Then Jesus says in verse 49, in fact, everyone will be salted with fire. The salt is good, he says in verse 50. So now suddenly he's not talking about the fire of hell. He's talking about something else. Because the salt is good. Now he's moved on to tell the disciples how they stop from ending up in those fires of Gehenna. Because left to our own selves, one way or the other, whether it's the sin in today's text or it's another, we will end up in Gehenna. So how do we who are believers stop from falling in the faith? Well, what preserves our faith? Salt was a preservative. What flavors our faith? It's the word. 
It's the word of God, both its law, which we hear in those strong proclamation, for example, about the fires of Gehenna, and the gospel that tells us Jesus Christ, true God, he didn't have a I'm better than you attitude. He took on our flesh, a servant's attitude, and saved us. Coming to the word over and over and over again, it preserves us and it's good. Why we do our daily meditations. This is why you're here this morning, to be preserved by the wonderful word that keeps you steadfast in that very word because the Holy Spirit works through that word to create, sustain, and strengthen your faith. Then Jesus continues once again. He says, yet if the salt were to become without the properties of salt, then in what thing will you season it? If you stay away from the word, what good is it for you? And you definitely cannot spread it to your neighbor if you're avoiding it. It's the word that shows us our sin and it shows us our Savior that keeps us saved. So Jesus says, have salt in yourselves. And then he tells you the result. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace among each other. That goes right back to that sin. Are we better than other people? Are we in a higher rank than other people? All those sins? He says, no. The word of God that preserves you, gives you faith, preserves your faith, this also gives you peace because it tells you, one, Jesus has won peace for you, so you are at peace with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's not your enemy. And that makes us all brothers and sisters in Christ. It gives us peace with each other, so we put on that servant's attitude instead of a self-glorifying attitude and recognize even the most insignificant thing like Opening up a door for somebody who's coming into church with their hands full is glorious in God's eyes. He's purchased and won you. He salts you with his word and keeps you in that word so that you remain his possession. Amen. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of sheep, Equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.